0: of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. We'll be reading the entirety of chapter 1 this morning. So due to the length, I'm not going to ask you to stand for it as you would be standing for quite a length of time and I'd not like to do that to you this morning. But I pray that even as you're reading here that we would have hearts of reverence for the Word of God as we begin reading in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. and god called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he seas and god saw that it was good and god said let the earth bring forth grass the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth and it was so and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of your word. We truly do know that we could never mind the depths of it. But Lord, this morning, we pray that you would help us to wrestle with it in order that we may better understand it. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to understanding what the meaning and the intent of this passage is. God, we're supposed to see something from this passage. And we pray that you would help us to see what you would help us to see in this passage, what the true meaning is of this passage is, of God, and then, Father, how it applies in each and every one of our lives. It may look slightly different, but, Father, we know the meaning of the text has never changed and will never change, Of God. Lord, we praise you this morning, even as you feed your lambs and feed your sheep. We pray that you would draw the one again that's never been born again. We pray you draw them to yourselves, God, that they would repent and trust only in you, that they may have life everlasting and joy everlasting, O God. Father, we love you. We thank you for this passage again. We pray it all in thy Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. This is truly a, a most wonderful passage, and I, I have to give the credence of one of my favorite preachers, H.B. Charles Jr., of there's really only one hard passage in the Bible, and if you believe it, the rest of them are simple, and it's in the beginning God. If you believe in the beginning God, then the rest of the Bible is going to make a lot of sense to you. As the one preacher said, God's the boss, and this is his book, and we just got to follow it. I, I have latched onto that from a few weeks ago. I don't know who it was that was saying it. It was just a regular regimen of sermons I was listening to, and whoever said it, I've latched onto that statement. God's the boss and this is his book. This is what we're supposed to be doing, is that if God created all things, that means you and I creatures that means that my mama and my daddy brought me into this world they had the right to take me out of this world and they were not off they were not shy to remind me of that i thought that that was actually what could happen i thought that that was what was supposed to be the normal order of things and beloved if that can happen with our parents if they can use that kind of language and while it may be jovial in that sense there should be something about us that realizes that if we have a creator that means that we're subject to him But if we have a creator, so what? Is this creator near to us? Is this creator somebody who is actively and presently walking with us and working with us in life? Or is this the God that simply created all things and stepped away and doesn't care what you do? Did he just create it and say, here, have fun? No, that's not what he does. And we see that expressed in the way that he has created all things. You begin with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So there was a beginning. There was an in the beginning. But what we also see is that God was existent before the beginning. There's never been a time to where God did not exist. Now, that presents a problem for you and me. We don't understand that. Because everything in our lives have had a beginning and has had an ending at some point or another, or we know that it will have an ending, or we know that it has a beginning. You and I are trapped by what we call time, but God is existent outside of time. Perhaps that is one reason why we struggle with this verse is to understand, God, how are you doing this? How are you working with this? Is because in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He's always been existent. He always will be existing. I love the diatribe by uh, S.M. Lockridge to where he begins to say, he's my king. And he says, there's been nobody before him and there will be nobody after him, that he's our king. And that's what we need to be mindful of is there's been nobody before him and there will be nobody after him, that God is the fullness of what we are seeking. If we are to begin to look at God in that sense, it's different than the way that the world may look at God. There's a temptation for us to look at God sometimes if we're not careful in such a light that God doesn't like us, that God is separated from us. And surely you and I, we know, we know Genesis chapter 3. We know that there's something about that that is right. But that's not the way that the story starts out. If you start out in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you start in this passage, all that you're able to see, especially even in the first verse, is the goodness of God. We're not starting with a God who is against us morally or who is against us in any way. We're understanding that God is good. And if you're one of the children of Israel, the first readers, the first receivers of this message, perhaps that's what's striking you down is the fact that God is good. But God, you've left us out here in the wilderness. God, you've let me wander. God, you've let me do all of these different things. God, why are you letting this happen in my life? Because he is our creator. If he deems it to be good for our lives, then it is good for our lives. If he deems us to need something, then it's needful in our lives. This passage is a beautiful passage. As he continues in verse 2, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God is moving upon the surface of the waters. It's amazing how God dwells. And yet, we don't have the earth. We don't have the heaven. All that we have is what God has created. We have something that is formless in the void, there's nothingness to it. But yet, the Spirit of God is moving upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is still present. Now, that is an interesting question within this text. We'll get to it as we begin in the creation of man. Some of us were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about, you know, God, you already heard me say it, how God said, let us create man in our image. There's some interesting original language choices that are made here because the original language up here almost seems to say, in the beginning, the gods. But it's not the gods. It's not the use of that word. It is in the plural sense. It's in the plural form for God, but it does not mean many gods. There's something about this that is tuning us into the personhood of God, what we call the Godhead. So many times as that language comes directly from the King James, as we often call it, the Godhead. Everybody else seems to refer to it as the Trinity, but I got Godhead of the King James, so I'm going to use that this morning. In that the Godhead consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And we are seeing all of them present in here. If we know from First John, or not from 1 John, if we know from the book of John that in the beginning the Word was with God and the Word was God, we see all three persons of the Godhood present here in this very story. We see that all of the fullness of God is present, though we may not understand all of these things. Because frankly, as much as you and I are able to understand that, as much as you and I are able to see the fulfillment of that in Christ Jesus, we're not the first audience of this book. The Israelites are the first audience of this book. And y'all, they've got some wrestling to do. There's something about this passage that is written in such a way that it leaves you questioning. That if you come to Genesis chapter 1 and you're just being blindly able to take everything word for word, not saying that's bad, I'm just saying, take everything word for word, but let it cause some questions in you. Let it be in there. I was uh, this past year at Camp Meeting, or not at Camp Meeting, at Arbor Meeting, and I remember Brother Bud Stiltner, who he, every now and then, I don't always learn a whole, whole lot from Brother Bud, but every now and then, he'll just have this golden nugget, and it leaves me thinking. He's done it almost every year down there, is there'll be so much, but then Brother Bud will leave me thinking, and I've been thinking about it ever since. He said, I submit to you that this book is a book of answers. Oh, Yes. But this is also a book that makes you question a whole lot of things.
1: Beloved, there is a
0: healthy questioning that we have. This morning, it was nice. Somebody had texted me. They're not associated with our congregation in any way, but somebody texted me, and I loved it. They were texting me about questions about the Bible, and y'all, that just thrills me. That makes me absolutely happy. He's a man in his 40s, 50s, I guess. He might even be 60 by now. I don't know. And he's still curious about, about the Bible. He's still wanting to know things. He's reaching out. He says, hey, do you know what's going on here? Beloved, that should be every one of us. When we see that God created the heavens and the earth, when we see the utter ascendancy of God, when we see the utter utterness of God, it ought to cause us to wonder and to look at God and say, and the and there was nothingness, and there was just without form, and it was a void, and your spirit was moving over the face of the waters? Y'all, I'm not just comforted by that. I'm curious by that. I told you many a times, my mom and daddy told me they, brought, they got me from Walmart. And I said, well, y'all must have gotten me from Walmart, Missouri because I'm a show me kind of person. You got to show me what these things mean. There needs to be something that I can latch on to. So exactly what God begins to do in his goodness, he says in verse three, he says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. I can't figure out the darkness. I don't like the darkness that much unless it's nighttime, in which case it's supposed to be dark as I remind some people in my life. At night, it's supposed to be dark. At day, it's supposed to be light. In the daytime, we're supposed to have the lights on. At night, we're supposed to have the lights off. That's just the way that it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be light in the daytime. There's supposed to be night, dark at night. All of these things. And I make jokes about it. But there is something about us that wants that true thing. Even Miss Terry and I, sometimes in the evenings, we'll be watching television or something like that. And we'll be watching something. And I say, we need to take a movement break. And when we started taking movement breaks. So we get up, we we'll do household chores, we'll go do the dishes, we'll do laundry, whatever the case we need to do. But we've also got to make sure, because sometimes, frankly, the TV is easier to watch, especially at night. It's easier to watch with the lights off. So we'll turn the lights down. But I'm like, not only do we need a movement break, we need a light break. We need to turn the lights on for a little bit so that we can see clearly. There's something within each and every single one of us. As much as we may enjoy darkness in certain situations, it makes TV easier to watch. It makes sleeping a whole lot easier, I submit to you. All of these different things, and yet there's something about us that desires light. There's something about us that even my brother, when he was young, he never did like the darkness. From a very early age, my parents had to have some kind of glow worm that they had to put a rubber band around so that he would constantly have light, and so much so that that continued on to me. He's five years older than me, so that when I come into the picture, there was something about it that we had to have that hallway light on, and that door had to be open because he had to be able to see. It never did bother me that much, as much as it bothered him at the time, but he wanted to make sure there was a light on me. When I got old enough and kicked him out of the room, I guess he just left, but I felt like I kicked him out. When I kicked him out of the room, I finally started to turn that light off and I found I slept a whole lot better. Beloved, there tells me there's something about patterns. Not that you can have no light, a certain amount of light if you've got to get up in the middle of the night. Okay, let's not fall and trip over and kill ourselves. I'm not asking you to do that. But there's something about it that we begin to see on the natural sense. What amazes to me is that God is appealing to every one of our natural senses when he begins talking about darkness and light, he's not putting before us a confusing imagery. He's putting before us an imagery that we understand each and every one of us have encountered lightness. Each and every one of us has encountered darkness and yet God is looking at it and he is the one that is the creator of light. He said there was light. We've already discussed it from last week. There's not even a sun in the heavens just yet. There's not even a moon. There's not even stars. And yet there is light. The presence of God in our lives ultimately means that there is going to be light in our lives. I don't understand how it happens. So I'm asking God, God, how does all of this flow? How does all of this make sense? And that he divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. There's a lot of things happening in day one. There's more happening in day one and I'm going to go ahead and we mentioned it last week and we're going to go ahead and say it today. If you want to say to me that these are 24 hour days, I'm going to be like, okay. If you want to look at me and you say these absolutely cannot be 24 hour days, I'm going to say, okay because honestly, I've got my opinions on it. And you've probably got your opinions on it. And I submit to you that if we begin to, to, to cross hairs over this and, and to try to needle through all of this and get upset with one another over, is it 24 hours? Is it not 24 hours? And that has split in many of congregations and that has split in many of people. I've got good friends on both sides of the aisle. Beloved, I don't know. It just says day one. It, it just says in, in the beginning, that's all that I've got. I don't have anything more. I don't have anything less. And I submit to you that that would be one of the best things that we can do. Stand on what the Bible says, and don't say, stand on what the Bible does not say. Whatever arguments you make, make it from the Bible. And I tell you that there are good arguments for both. That if you want to be a 24-hour person, there's good arguments for it. There's a lot of good arguments for it. But if you want to say that we don't understand the timing of God, that a thousand years is as a day, and the a day is as a thousand years, if you want to be on that camp, i be like, okay, that's in the Bible too. Beloved, there are some things you and I are going to disagree on Ultimately, there's going to be a disagreement on. But what we need to understand is God is the one that is in control. God's the boss and this is his book. And we're just going to be people who follow the book. In verse six, he continues. He says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. So day one, he creates darkness and he creates light. Day two, he creates heaven. He ain't even created earth yet, y'all. He's just created heaven. Heaven is the one that comes first. Heaven is the one that he first creates here on day two. And then in verse nine, he begins, it says, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called he sees. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. On the third day, he begins to create life. He brings life into the picture, even the life of the earth. He creates the earth and he begins that it is doing all of these things. And it says after his kind. And we'll begin as we get into into day six. We'll also see that he says in the beast and the cattle after their come. If you remember that guy named Charles Darwin, he sure did cause a bunch of controversy. And honestly, y'all, I think a lot of it was because Christians weren't reading their Bibles. And I mean that. I I think that it was largely Christians that weren't reading the Bibles because he went down to the Galapagos Islands and he started to see all these different birds. And he says, hey, this bird on this island looks this way and this bird on this island looks that way. And it it begins with what we understand and what we often call the theory of evolution. He said, things are evolving. Things are changing. And the Christians got mad about it. And they begin to say, we're not going to have that. We're not going to believe any such thing as that. We believe that God created all things and they just were. Did y'all not read the rest of that? Did you not read that it said after his kind? That after his kind, and after his kind, and after his kind, and after his kind, that means that there's different kinds. That means there's going to be different kinds of birds. Do you mean to tell me that a bird on one island might have to adapt to a different trait than a bird on this island? Yes, that is never going to deter us from believing. Beloved, what we come to the Bible with is not a disbelief in science. What we understand is, is that God is the God of science, that he is the creator of all things. I submit to you, we may have science messed up We may think it to be one thing, and it actually wound up being another thing. Did any of you live through 2020? Did any of you survive that year to where we had the, the experts telling us one thing on week one, and then by week five, they were saying something totally different, and it kept changing. And I want to have some grace on those people for a moment. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't have all the answers. They were seeking to find the answers. Can I tell you, I love scientists. I think scientists are one of the coolest professions in this entire world that they're studying these things, that they're seeking, and that, beloved, I'm skipping ahead to day six. Do you remember where God said to have dominion over these things and to subdue all things? Do y'all know that if it wasn't for scientists, we wouldn't have that? If it wasn't for scientists, my father-in-law wouldn't know how to build a building. Somebody had to figure out that you put X, Y, and Z together, and it creates A, B, and C. Somebody had to figure that out. Do y'all know that's a form of science right there? He didn't even know he was a scientist, and I'm calling him a scientist this morning. My father builds airplanes, he's a scientist, he's figuring out how I'm my stars. Every one of us has something in us that as much as we want to see it as either or, we say it's got to be either this way or it's got to be this way. Beloved, most often it's a mix of these things. Most often it's something that you and I have failed to understand. I'm with Brother Bud. It sure does have a lot of answers in this book, but it sure does seem to ask, make me ask more questions. All of these things, how God has created all these things, I'm left asking more questions than what I've got answers to. i got a whole lot of answers, even by verse 13. But I think i got more questions than what i got answers. In verse 14, he says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God sent them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. On the fourth day, finally, we've had light from day one. But finally, on the fourth day, we have what you and I would understand to be the sun and the moon, and we see all the other creation and the stars. He finally gave us something that we know He meant to There had been light from day one, but now all of a sudden on day four, there's light. Can I tell you that I think that if we only see that He created the source of light on day four, I think we've missed the point of day four. And how many times I've heard it proclaimed that the point of day four was that He created the moon and the sun and the stars. I don't think that's the point at all of day four. The point of day four is He gave us a gift. That you and I would be most miserable without. The point of day four is, He gave us time. He said, for the seasons, for the days, for the nights, all of these things, He gave us time. If it weren't for time, and I'm probably too obsessed with time, but if it weren't for time, we wouldn't know how to conduct ourselves. We'd have the patterns of, of some sense, but you and I wouldn't know. We wouldn't have a light to rule the day. We wouldn't have a light to rule the night. We wouldn't know what we were doing. We wouldn't have times. We wouldn't have seasons. We wouldn't know when to plant, get the farmer's almanac out and say what the weather's telling us. Check the persimmons. We did that yesterday. Y'all better be ready. There's some spoons in those this year. Y'all better be ready to shovel some snow this year. We're checking the seasons. We're checking the times. We're checking what God has created us. However, many years after he created us, we got to enjoy part of that yesterday. Our family, part of our family was yesterday, me and Mr. Tara, as we were checking those spoons. God has created all things for our good. And on day four, he gave us time. And that is a blessing beyond degree. Because if you are a people that are trapped in the wilderness, do you know what you need? You need time. You need, a repeti- you need repetition. You need something in your life that is marking off the days. I'm not submitting the movie to you to go watch, but it is a movie of interesting note in pop culture even to this day, is the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks. How he's cast away on an island. He's all by himself on an island. And for the most part, there's very little words. There's a few words at the beginning of the movie. There's a few words at the end of the movie. But apart from a few words of Tom Hanks uttering something, there's a lot of silence going on. And the problem that he had, he's on an island all by himself. The metaphorical man on the island all by himself. And you know what I love about that journey is? He's on an island all by himself. And do you know what he does? He still continues to mess up. He's still evidence of a fallen nature. Even within humanity, there's still things that he messes up. Most of you are talking about Wilson the Volleyball right now in your heads. If you remember him, he had to create a friend that he could talk to. He knew that there needed to be other people. He had to have some form of order in his life. He needed time in his life so that he could track the progress. He didn't know if he was going to get off the island, but because of time in his life, He could know what the natural progressions were. Time in my life absolutely seems to be flying, and it's getting faster every single year. I'm only 28 years old, and it feels gracious by now. i got to be hanging out with the 70-year-olds and the 80-year-olds with how fast it's going. Y'all don't tell me how fast it's going at 50s and 60s. Don't tell me that, please. I'm worried about that by the time I get to that point. But even as much as I may be concerned about how fast time begins to move as the older I get, the more glad I am that He gave us time that we may measure these things. It's interesting, He did it on day four. He didn't do it on day one, two, three, or four, five, and six, or seven. Or on five, six, or seven. He did it on day four. It's interesting to note, day four is in the center. This one, let's pay attention to it as it continues. Let's go into the fifth day. It says, and God said, let the waters... Wait a minute. And God said, let the waters... And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created the great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. He already separated all the waters. Why didn't he create life that day? Just know, just curious, why didn't he create life that day? Seems to be there's a pairing between the two days. In verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that... Upon that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Every step of the way, God has been declaring the goodness of his creation. That even still, that as you and I are looking at the creation of God, yes, we understand. We live in a Genesis chapter 3 world. But Genesis chapter 3 comes after chapter 2 and after chapter 1. What we should first see in this world is the goodness of God. The first things that we should see in this world is how good of a God that he is, that he created it, and that these things are bringing forth abundantly, that God is not doing this with partiality. God is making sure that his production, his creation is a productive society, that it is bringing forth abundantly. God is good, and his goodness extends past what we can understand. The problem with Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going way ahead of myself, is they ultimately question the goodness of God. God has declared all things good. You know, ultimately what they do is it's a question of whether or not God is actually good. What God has given them is good. The parameters that God has given them is a good. It's interesting to note, if you look at these verse structures, these days actually somewhat mirror each other. Because when you go to day seven, skipping ahead to chapter two, verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. I still don't know why they divided the chapters where they did. It still doesn't quite make sense to me why we made verses one through three of chapter two when we didn't attach that to chapter one but I didn't write the chapters. Somebody else did. Somebody else put the chapters there. It was long after the story. In the original accounting of this it would have been seen. In Jewish literature this is actually poetry. In Jewish literature what we've just heard and if you'll listen to it he says it's got those rhythmical things. It's got the rhythm to it, and it was good, and it was good, and God said, and it was good, and God said, and it was good. And the way that he created these things, it's a poem of its own, and it's actually a very special kind of poem. It's what's called a chiasm. Now, if you would like to learn more about chisms, that's fancy $10 word over there. Please talk to me after service. There's a great resource that I can recommend that explains it. I don't know how they are on everything, but I know they do a good job of explaining chapter 1 of Genesis. These days have a mirroring of each other. These days kind of mirror each other a little bit. One pairs with seven, two pairs with five, three pairs, one pairs with seven, two pairs with six, three pairs with five, and then there's day four in the center. That's not happenstance so that day four is in the center. Some people declare, and we talked about it a little bit last week, chapters one through 11 are a You know what's in the middle of chapter one, or of chapter, chapters one through 11? We have Noah. We have Noah in the center of it. We have near, what I called last week, nearly new creation. God's cueing us into something that in the middle, there's something special. In the middle, the gift that he had given, one of the greater purposes of this poem that he gave his children, a wonderfully orchestrated poem. There's so many numbers things in here that I'm just not smart enough to remember, that I'm not smart enough to keep up with. There's so much beauty in this passage, even in its original languages, that it was one of the most beautiful poems that had ever been written, and in the center of it is that he gave them time. I go back to it once again. If I'm in the wilderness, do you know what I need? I need time. If I'm in the wilderness and I don't know how to mark off the days because they all seem to be the same, I need time. Life gets boring, I need something more. Life gets boring, and I need the times Somebody reminded us yesterday, what was a month from yesterday? Thanksgiving. Somebody's excited about Thanksgiving food, but I'm not the only one. I sure do love Thanksgiving. One of my favorite times of the year. I sure do enjoy the food, but I enjoy the fellowship more. I'm thankful we have that every year. It's amazing. Every culture you go into, They have times. They have ways of marking these things. They have something in these. They have feasts. They have something that's marking it. Beloved, we are creatures of habit because that is a goodness of the gift of God in our lives that he's made us to be creatures of habit. Let not the habits rule over us. Don't let us be controlled by our habits. Let us be willing to change things up and mix things up. We're trying to be mindful of that here at the shed road, that we don't always do everything exactly the same. Sometimes we're mixing it up, trying to get better in all of these things. We're trying to exercise the dominion that God has given us But beloved, praise God for time. Praise God that we mark off the days. Praise God that he gives us times and he gives us seasons. He gives us a time to plant, a time to sow, a time to reap, a time to harvest, a time for everything God has given us because of his goodness. He lets us mark the passing years as a gift from him. He lets us mark the passing seasons as a gift from him. Time is not a curse. Time is one of the greatest blessings from God. And it's exhibited in this poem. That's one of the great things about this poem. Now let's talk about one of the weird things of this poem. Y'all see the verse counts. Day 1 has about three verses. Day 2 has about three or four verses. And the, the days they mirror each other and they have the same amount of verses. Just about day 1 has three verses. Day 7 has three verses. And I think day 2 may have three or four verses. And then day 6 has three or four verses. And then days 3 and 5 they have about the same amount of verses. And chapter verse, or day 4 is about the longest. One of them has the most verses. Except for day six. And day six is kind of weird. But day six is divided into two parts. He creates the bees. He creates all the creeping things. Now, I sure do love to eat some of those critters. Some of y'all don't. That's okay. We'll all take variance with there. I will give credit that if you read it, it appears in Genesis chapter one, we didn't eat meat. I'm just, I'm just going to say that I will give that variance and I will give that credit. It doesn't appear that in Genesis chapter one, we ate meat till after the fall. But beloved, I sure do enjoy even seeing this. I sure do enjoy even seeing the creatures that he's given us. sure do enjoy seeing them. I love going over to, over to my father-in-law's place. I love going over to my parents' place. Both of them have deer. Both of them have turkeys. And I just love getting to see the natural life it's all about. Last night we were fascinated. We were just watching bats. It's just so simple. And that was one of the greatest joys of the day, was just watching some bats fly around last night. It amazes me how God has created this world that we may enjoy it. It's not a burden to us, but this world is supposed to be something that we enjoy. Can I just go ahead and pick up another subject? Y'all know that we're supposed to take care of this world? Y'all know that Christians ought to be the ones that take the best care of this world because we understand that it's our Father's creation. It belongs to Him and that we ought to have care over it. We ought not to just treat it as badly as we can. We ought to treat it as best as we can. We're never going to do it perfectly, no. But we ought to be the best caretakers of this world because we know who the Creator is. With that in mind, Day six is where it gets weird because the rest of it, again, it's got this wonderful poetic structure to it. But then there's almost this add-in that verses on day 6, as it were, verses 26 through 28, they follow the normal pattern. But when he gets into verse 29, the pattern, or verses 24 and 25, it mirrors the pattern. But verses 26 through 31 are kind of different because he says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle, and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so, and God created, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Same pattern. Verse 26 changes it up. He says, and God said, let us make man in our image. Again, we go back to understanding how the Godhead is present. God, the creator is present. We know that he created things through his word. We know from John chapter one, that in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. We do have to take all of the Bible together, understanding that all of the Godhead is here. So that when it says, let us create man in our image, does that mean we're going to get up to heaven and we're going to look like God? I don't know. I know we're going to have a glorified body. I know that. I know that from Scripture. But when I look in the book of Revelation and I say the description of Jesus, I'm not real sure that I understand every description that he has. And I'll tell you one thing further. I think as much as anything, it's imagery that's meant to help us to understand. It's going to be the greatness of God. It's going to be the glory of God. Is it going to be all of those things? Maybe it is. Maybe it's imagery which is calling us to recognize it's a greater picture. Maybe it's something in our minds that's made us to see the greatness of God. When it says, let us create man in our image, well, we know that God is a spirit. We know that he doesn't have an image in the sense that you and I have an image. We know that you and I, we all kind of look similar. We all have similar facial structures. We all have that. Is that what God is talking about? Is that what God looks like? I don't believe so. Because again, with the Spirit moving upon the face of the waters, and God being Spirit not having a form, and and this is the pre-incarnation Christ, that he's not been incarnated yet. He's not an incarnated human over here in chapter 1 just yet. And yet it says, in our image, let us create man. Beloved, as much as anything that tells me, what we've been seeing in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis is the character of God unfold. How God makes everything good. God makes everything good. God is doing everything, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good. Everything that God has done is good. That tells me that when he says, created man in our own image, more than anything, it's talking about our character. More than anything, it's to bring us into likeness with him. And if you don't believe me on that, well, let's just hop to the, per- to the first audience again. What does he spend so much time doing with this first audience? When they've disobeyed him, even in the process of when they're disobeying him, he's giving them the Ten Commandments. He's giving them the way to live according to the standard of God. What's he going to do after the Ten Commandments? He's going to expound the rest of the law. He's going to give them the rest of the way that they're supposed to live, the rest of the way that they're supposed to fill their time. Y'all, they were a busy people, but they also knew how to take rest. They were a busy people because they were busy for God. Every one of the laws of God was ultimately to make you look like himself. And yes, there were some facial features, but, you know, I didn't see, and again, I'm not getting on plastic surgery. I'm I'm not going to have this. I'm just not going to. I don't think he's talking about plastic surgery making your face look different. I don't see anywhere where he does that. What I see him primarily doing in the law is changing the very character of who the people are. If you want to be more like God, I'm not worried about the outward appearance. Somebody come in here this morning and was worried about the way he's dressed. I profoundly huh? That ain't what it's about. What I care about. Men here, they're older men, really not Out there, y'all not come that way. If I'm making about, I want you to look like what I look like. I'm wrong. If for a minute we begin to say that you need to look like what I look like, you need to talk like I talk like you need to... If that is what discipleship here becomes like, we've missed the entire point. When God says let us create man in our images, He wants you to look like Him in the form that He wants you to act like Him. He wants your character to be like Him. Everything that is given in this Bible is that you may be like God Himself. Beloved, that's the connection that He wants us with is that we would look like Him, that we would dwell with Him as He is given. We still belong to Him. God's still the boss. This is still His book. We still have to obey Him. But look at the goodness of what God has given us. He says, so, in verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Beloved, it's weird in this poetry. It's weird in this poem because God has called us out to be a special people. God has called us out not to look like the rest of the world. That imagery continues. That when he takes his children of Israel, when he takes the children of Jacob, and he pulls them to the side and he says, I'm going to make you a special family. When he looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make your seed the ones that are the promise. I'm going to make you different from the rest of the world. That's what he's done in each and every one of our lives. He pulls us aside and he says, I'm going to make you different on purpose. You're not going to fit in with everything in the rest of the world. I've mentioned it before. Let us not be weird for weirdness's sake. That's just that's just craziness. We're not like Portland. We're not trying to keep things weird. But, beloved, we ought to keep things like Christ. And that's going to be weird to the rest of the world. He's given us dominion over these things, he's given us control over our influences. Do you know what he's done? As he says, and he says all those things that we were just given, and it says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything's very good. Not just good at this point. Everything's very good. But then he continues in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, and thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. He created us with patterns of rest. He created us so that sometimes we've got to unplug. That if God himself created all things, sometimes we've got to slow down. Sometimes we want to fill every single moment of every single day with as much as we can. You know what he made you to do? He made you to spend about a third of your life on your back. You're weak. You're not as strong as you think. He made you this way for a reason because you need rest. I, got, I was laughing with somebody yesterday. I said, brother, you need some rest. And I said, don't forget to rest. And he said, I, I do. He said, I sleep every night. My brother, you need some rest on a different day too. There's a pattern that God has given us for a pattern of rest. Work hard six days a week But find a day that you rest in. Work hard in all that he has given us. But don't forget the rest. And I tell you that it doesn't end there. That the perfection of our rest is in Christ Jesus Himself. That is the perfection of our rest. And that the law they had to live all of these things, they had to perpetuate all of these things, and they had to take seasons of rest, they had to take evenings of rest, they had to take days of rest. They had to take entire years to where it was a year of jubilee and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't work the land. They had to let the land rest. God has created us so that we are dependent upon him, so that we need rest. Everything in our life points to the reality. We can't do it under our own steam. We need God in our lives. That's why we rest perfectly in Christ Jesus in the work that he has done, is that he is our perfect rest because even God himself takes rest because God himself is the one that did the work. You and I didn't do anything to save ourselves. Christ did all of the work. All we have to do is trust in Him and walk in the goodness of His will, walk in the goodness of His creation. And if you don't believe me, just keep reading the book of Genesis and you'll find yourself with pattern after pattern of where when we fail to obey God, we get in a mess. He is a God of order. When we walk according to order, we don't have problems when we walk contrary to the order of God, we'll always have problems. He's given all these things and declared them to be very good. Let's rest in Him this morning. Father, we thank You for this wonderful passage of Your Word. We pray that you be with us. We pray that you engraft it within us, that it would bear fruit in due season of God. Father, we pray somebody that's never been born again, Father, we pray that they would come to You. Father, repent and trust only in You. God, for those of us who go astray, me, so often at the top, top of that list, oh God, Father, let us come to you time and time again. Father, we know your goodness. We know your goodness in creation. We know your goodness in all things. Let us continually trust in you. Let us as a church model these things for others as well, O oh God. Lord, we just cling to you in all of these things. We ask it in thy Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen.